When I was in sixth grade, I played on a soccer team for my school. Um, I wasn't very exceptional, but I was a solid defender, and so I played most of the games, most of the time. Uh, I think it helped that there was only 15 people on the team, and so when you need 11 on a field, your odds are pretty good. Um, anyway, halfway through the season, thereabouts, I was playing a pickup game with some friends, and I went to go sprint for the ball. I hadn't warmed up or stretched, and I felt a fire in my right leg, and I fell down, and I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I iced it. I put Bengay on it. I rested. Um, but come the next week, I tried running, and I couldn't take more than a few steps before like, I would just fall down in pain. Um, later, I found out that I'd actually ripped the top part of the quad, and it's now pulled up in a knot on the top of my leg. And it took about six months or so to heal and the rest of the muscles to, like, work instead of it. Um, so I was benched. I was on the sidelines. I was out of the game, and it sucks. Like, there's nothing worse than, like, really wanting to play a sport and then not being able to do it and just sitting there watching everyone else play. Like, that's horrible, especially for me. I love running around. I love playing sports. I love soccer. And I was just sitting there every Saturday because I was on the team, so I wanted to support my team, but I'm just I'm a bump on a log, I feel like. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's rough. And if I'm honest now, I'm afraid of getting an injury like that because I don't want that to happen again. Uh, but injuries aren't just about sports. Uh, if you love to write, imagine like getting carpal tunnel in both your hands and just like not being able to type or write or hold a pen. Uh, if you love watching movies or Netflix or playing video games, imagine staring at the sun for too long and your eyes go blind. If you really like to talk or sing in the shower or in the car, uh, imagine you just like should have, you probably should have taken a closer look at that cup of coffee before you drank it, and now you burned your vocal cords, and now you can't talk for two weeks. So injuries happen to all of us. Um, and the basic idea I'm getting at is, like, what injuries do is they prevent us from doing the things we love. Um, they're obstacles to our life. We see them as something that's in our way. We need to fix. We need to rehabilitate ourselves and get over. And the reason I'm talking about injuries is because I think... I feel this way sometimes, I think y'all might as well, I think our culture does, is it sees singleness as an injury. It sees singleness as something that needs to be fixed, that's an obstacle to us really enjoying our lives or having fun. I don't know if this is true of everyone's experience of it, but people I've talked to, my own experience, I think that we can see it this way. Um, Sometimes we feel it just like a sprained ankle, it's kind of annoying, it kind of hurts. Sometimes it feels like a broken spine and we're just lying down. And sometimes it just feels like we're just on the sidelines watching everyone else play. And I think as we get older, this will become more true as we see more of our friends get married, as we see more people move on with their lives. We might experience singleness as being left behind. Um, But it's not true. Um, One of the things I want to be talking on tonight is that in Christ, we are not defined by what we lack. We're not defined by what... We're missing, whether that is a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, that's not what we're defined by. Um, The gospel is that if we're in Christ, to use my metaphor, like, we're on the field. We're playing the game. We're right next to our brothers and sisters, married or single. Like, we're in. Coach, put me in. You're in. Like, that's where you are right now. Um, And as we'll see, it's good 
that some of us on the field are single. Like, we can't all be forwards. We can't all be defenders. Some of us need to be single. Some of us are married. We're called to different places. Okay, so let's turn now. Um, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. As he goes through, he's talking to a people who are like, oh, am I, should I get married? Should I get divorced? Am I stay single? Like, they have the same questions we kind of do. So let's turn now. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25 through 35. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Um, Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for bringing us here tonight. We thank you for your grace and mercies that you daily visit upon us. Um, Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us now and for Christ's sacrifice um, to reunite us and bring us into communion with you. I pray that my words tonight would be your words, that you would speak through me. Um, Let your will be done, not my words. Um, Let the ears here be open to receive your word. Let your word fall upon them. Let your mercies fall upon them and open their hearts to receive what you would have them here, Lord. Um, We entrust this night to you as we entrust all of our lives to you. Um, I lift up all these things and pray them in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I haven't been in a relationship uh, since a little after my 21st birthday. So that's about a little over three years now. Um, And in some respects, it's been really easy. And I say that because I've felt unencumbered. Like, I've been free to make the friendships I want to make. I can organize my schedule around my time and what I want to do. Um, If I sleep in on a Sunday because I stayed up too late partying Saturday night, I wasn't worried about it. Uh, If I missed a large group or a Bible study because I had homework due the next day, I didn't really have any qualms. Um, I spent my money on dining out, drinks, random things off Amazon that I didn't really need, and I don't even know where they are now. (laughs) So there was no one demanding my time, I felt, and so I was free to live a life that was about me. I'll get into a little bit more later, but this is something I want to like call like missionless singleness. Uh, this is us internalizing the notion that until we're married, we're not in the game, we're just sitting on the bench. Uh, this is the idea that we're just big children running around without any responsibilities until we decide, decide to settle down. Like Until we settle down, we're just free of responsibility. 
This is me devoting all of my time to video games and Netflix and spending my money on cat on clothes and food or a new car if I get there. Uh, this is worldly singleness. And the reality is that being single doesn't mean we don't have a mission. So we'll come back to that. Um, on the other side of the coin, being single, in a lot of ways, I felt has been a bane of my existence. I'll give you an example. Um, so if you've ever played the game where you're like, you line up in a row, say there's like 10 people, you line up. Uh, one side, the guy just stands there and spins around like this. He's got a pretty easy job. Uh, if you know anything about geometry, you know that the farther away you get from the center of the circle, the longer you're going to have to run around. And if this guy is just spinning like this as fast as he can, you're going to be running really fast. And imagine you're that person being pulled along. Like you're literally just, someone's just yanking you, and then pretty soon your legs aren't on the ground. You're like a five-year-old kid whose dad is swinging them, and then they let you go, and then you just go tumbling off into the grass. You're out of breath. You're dizzy. You're confused. You look up into the sky. You're not really sure what you see, but you're pretty sure it shouldn't be moving quite so fast. <laughs> um, that's something like how I would describe coming out of my last relationship. And I don't think, I literally don't think I was able to feel like I had to catch my breath, that I could breathe deeply for months afterwards. Um, there have been times when I've been single that all of my close friends were dating someone. Like, there's a group of six of us that had known each other since freshman year. Then all of them were paired off, and I was sitting there like, what's my problem? I'm still here. I don't know. You were like, why, why am I still single? Um, there have been nights where I've been alone in my dorm room watching Netflix because I didn't have anyone to talk to or hang out with. And if I'm honest, it was safer for me to stay in my dorm room than try and go out and meet people and talk with them. Um, I felt loneliness the way you feel cold after jumping in an ice-cold lake, and it seeps into your bones, and you just try to remember what it felt like to be warm. I want to acknowledge off the bat that singleness can be painful, it can be hard, and it can be really lonely. But we can't let that cloud our vision and get in the way of the truth and believe a lie. We can't believe the lie that being single means we're on the sidelines watching other people live life, and we're out of it. Um, singleness isn't a curse. It's not a broken leg. It's not even a bad case of the flu. Um, being single is not something about ourselves that we need to fix. Let's take a step back a minute. Um, so why are you all in college? Just think, what, what are you trying to gain? What are you trying to get out of here? What are you looking for at the end of your graduation? Maybe you want that dream job. Maybe you want to be knocking down barriers every day. You climbing the corporate ladder, changing the world. Whatever it is, that's the job you want. You want to be fulfilled and satisfied in your job. Maybe it's financial security and wealth. Maybe you just want to have the nice house, the nice car, the picket fence. You want to be in the good neighborhood with the good schools, but still close enough to downtown so that you can go and get, like, have fun at a local bar, go to a music venue. Like, you want to have the life. Or maybe you're searching for admiration or respect um, from the people around you for having done something important, for doing something that people see as significant and that matters. Um, 
Whatever it is, imagine for a moment with me that all you need to do is get to graduation and you would have that thing that you're striving for. Like, you get the diploma. It doesn't matter what the grade says, C or B or A+. plus. Like, you walk off the stage and you have the money. You have the fame. You have the respect of people. Like, you're the top guy on everyone's list. Like, you have that just for getting to graduation. That knowledge should change the way you live tomorrow. Knowing that everything you're striving for, everything you want to achieve will be handed to you should change the way we spend our time. It should change the way we think about whether or not we stress and fret over our problem sets or our homework. It should change the way we use our time, whether it is for ourselves and for our own gain or for others. It should change the way we live. Um, This is our truth. Like, Paul's central message is about this. If you look at verse 29... He writes, brothers and sisters, the time is short. And in verse 39, this world in its present form is passing away. There are two truths Paul wants us to resonate, wants us to like dig deep into our souls and carve them in. Um, the first is obvious. Your life is finite and this world is finite. Like everything has an expiration date. You have an expiration date. Your iPhone has an expiration date. The bridge that you hope to build someday has an expiration date. This is the common sense part. Um, The second truth that Paul really wants you to know is the gospel, which is that there's something after the expiration date. This is like your milk goes bad in the fridge because you left it in there for three weeks or a month or I don't know how long it takes milk to go bad. And it curdles and it smells really bad, but you leave it in there an extra day and then you pull it out and you have a gallon of ice cream. Like, this is like the gospel right there, is like, you get ice cream after your milk goes bad. After our lives are over, there will be a time when Christ will come again. The church will be lifted up and presented blameless before him, that God will make his home among his people. Like, that's going to happen. The gospel is that everything we long for is going to come true. So how does this change the way we live? Um, In our relation to things, If you look at verse 30, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Paul doesn't want us to separate us from the world, but he does want us to put our stuff into perspective, into an eternal perspective of what's going to come. Is our money best spent on ourselves or on serving others and loving God first? Should we buy clothes and food and gadgets to the expense of all other things? Or are we free to use our money to give to those to need, to take a friend out to coffee or lunch, knowing that in the future, we won't need any money. Like, it's taken care of. In a relation to time, if you look at verse 31, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. Paul doesn't want us to stop working or caring about our homework or putting in the time we need for the commitments we have. But he wants us to see that how we use our time should also be shaped by the finitude of this world. Is our time spent on serving others and serving God first? Or is our time almost always spent on ourselves? Do we engross ourselves and lose sleep over homework, over job security? Or do we engross ourselves and lose sleep over the spiritual health of our friends and the well-being of God's people? Matthew sixteen twenty, Christ says, store up, your, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 
What about our relationship status? Verse 29, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Okay, we can take a step back and be like, okay, what's Paul saying here? I can tell you he's not saying that if you are married, you should pretend that you're not and just forget about those vows. and like, oh, I should live as though I don't have a wife. I'm free to do whatever. Uh, same guy that wrote Ephesians when we talked about last week. So that's off the table. Um, what he's saying is that just as our money and time have to be placed in eternal perspective, so must our marriages and our singleness. Our relationship status is finite. It has an expiration date. If you remember, and you were here what if you were here to remember what Ben said last week about marriage being a sign that points towards a more profound and greater marriage, the marriage between God and his bride, the church, the truth is we're all getting married someday. Every one of us who calls Christ Lord is going to be married to God. Like, we're all engaged to God. That's our future. We will be married to him someday. And that should be some, like, A little bit shocking news, but it should be exciting. Like if you just look down at your hand one day and you saw a ring on your finger, I'm like, oh, I'm getting married. I think that would be surprising and happy. Like that's the truth. And this has to change the way we view our relationships here on earth. It has to change the way we view our singleness. Okay, how? Uh, First, coming from that, singleness is temporary. Like singleness is always temporary. For those of us who will be married in this life, like, that makes sense. I'm single, then I'm not. Okay, it ends. That's pretty, that's pretty simple. But for those of us who may be single our entire lives, who may never get married, what this means is that there will be a time when we will be the bride of Christ and we will be married to him. Like, our singleness will end and we will be married to God. And this is the same hope we have if we get married and then our spouse dies before we do. We're single, then we're married, then we're single again. But we have another greater marriage to look forward to. Our singleness is always temporary. The truth is we're engaged to Christ. We're engaged to the most perfect person, period. I think that's pretty exciting. That's like the happily ever after of all happily ever afters. That's like you finding your prince or princess and like actually getting to marry them. This is the gospel as the only true fairy tale. But we're not married yet. Most of us. (laughs) A lot of the time, we don't even feel like we're engaged and we don't really feel excited about the wedding date. Right now, all that's on our minds is we don't have the companionship we crave the intimacy desire, and we're not having the sex we wish we were having. We hear in Genesis God say, it's not good that man for, for the man to be alone. And we lift up our arms and be like, okay, God, why am I alone? Part of the answer, and this doesn't resonate all the time, but it's you're not. If you are in Christ, then you are united to Christ, and Christ is united to you. Christ has sent the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Comforter, to be with us. We are united in Christ to every Christian brother and sister in the world right now. Like, you're not alone, not even close. I mean, look around the room right now. We need to live this out more, I think. Um, We need to press into Christian community. God has placed the church here to be an instrument in making all things new, but also to love his people. Like, the church is here to love the church as well. Um, 
kind of coming out to Manfred, we're all engaged together to God. That's kind of a weird thing. But it means that we as Christians should strengthen and encourage one another, and we should build friendships where we're known and we know others. Because that's where we're headed. We're going to know each other really well very soon. It may not seem that soon, but very soon we're going to know everything about each other. And it's going to be glorious and beautiful. By the way, that's my second point, in case we're taking track of points. Uh, the other part of the answer to why am I alone is more about loneliness and why do we feel so lonely. And the answer to that is that we live in a broken world, broken by our sin. Uh, we rebelled against God, and now we live under the consequence of that sin. I don't think Adam ever asked God why he was alone. I mean, he was walking alongside God. He was in consistent communion with God. Like, I don't think he had any issues to worry about there of being alone. Uh, when God said that Adam should not be alone, he wasn't commenting on Adam's loneliness. He was saying that by himself, Adam could not fully carry out God's purpose or reflect his image, and he needed a helper to do that. But he wasn't lonely because he was in God's presence. But then Adam and Eve sinned, that's the fall, and our communion with God was broken. We're not lonely because we don't have a spouse. Um, I've talked with and heard from enough married people, and I'm sure you could ask some of them. Uh, marriage doesn't cure loneliness, and so if Marriage isn't the cure for loneliness. Us not being married isn't the problem of our loneliness. We're, loneliness, we're lonely because we don't experience communion with God. Loneliness is a consequence of our sin. And even though Christ has wiped away the judgment for our sins, until the time comes when he is united to us fully, we groan with all of creation for that day of reuniting. We groan from our loneliness. Being single is lonely and difficult and painful, mostly because being human is lonely and difficult and painful in a fallen world as broken people. Uh, that's point number three. Point number four, singleness is a gift. At an earlier part in this chapter, um, not a part that we read, Paul says, each man has his own gift from God. Uh, this is verse seven. One has this gift, another has that. Uh, many people over the years have taken this to mean that singleness is a spiritual gift, kind of like healing is a spiritual gift, kind of like wisdom is a spiritual gift in verse 12. And they imply then that those people who have the gift of singleness are people who just naturally feel singleness to be easier. They're people that feel less inclined to be in a romantic relationship. Uh, they don't really feel the desire to be married as strongly. Um, this is kind of a poor interpretation. It's pulling two different very passages and pastoral intents together to make it mean something that it doesn't. Certainly there are some of us who do feel our singleness as easier as we don't have kind of those strong desires to be married. We don't really desire companionship in that specific way as much. And that can be a tangible way that some of us feel the call to singleness but we're naive and we ignore God's truth if we think that in this fallen world, all our desires are just going to match up with our position in life. We might be called to singleness even when we don't want to be single. And that's a hard truth. But the gift of singleness is the reality that if you're single today, God has given you singleness. God has decreed that you are single. 
and God decrees only good things for us. Being single today is God's gift to you, and he means it for your good if you're single today. And he means it for his glory for you to be single today. Uh, I really think of Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, even in our singleness, God works for the good of those who love him. So that's kind of what it means when he says the gift of singleness. Um, Point number five. Singleness has a mission. If we are single today, it's because it is a gift that God has given it to us, but God also intends us to use it faithfully. Um, let's look at verse 32 really quickly. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. This sounds like a declarative statement, but is actually more really a call. This is how we should live and think about our lives. Verse 35 I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, an undivided devotion to the Lord. Your life has a purpose. It has a mission. You're to devote yourselves to God. And this really is, it's nothing new. Like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that should be ingrained in us, I feel. Um, But it looks different for single Christian men and women than it does for married Christian men and women. Married men and women serve the church. They serve Christ. They love God. um, But they also have to honor and fulfill their responsibilities and their vows to one another. And they can't shirk those aside. So a married man should be and must be concerned with how to please and love and care for his wife, and a married woman must be and should be concerned with how to please and love and care for her husband. If we are single, then we don't have these responsibilities. This is not where we are called and how we're called to serve and love and live out Christ. So we have time that married men and women do not have to give to the Lord and serve his church. And God has a calling on how we use our spare time and money and energy. Kind of coming back to the missionless singleness idea. The missionless person sees the extra time he has during the week, sees that as a few days off, a few hours here, a few hours there, and says, okay, I'm going to watch Netflix here, going to go to the gym there, then I'm going to go and maybe hang out with my friends at the bar, and if I feel like it, I'll go to this Bible study or go to this large group if it fits my interests. It's kind of about what I want to do. Um, the mission-minded person sees those same hours, sees those same days open and asks the Lord, how can I be invested in your kingdom? How can I serve your people? Should I go get coffee with that person? Should I join that Bible study and help lead it? Should I spend a few minutes each morning in prayer and devotion to you? And don't get me wrong, like I probably fall more on the missionless side a lot of times. I'm not saying that, like, it's one or the other. We're in the middle. We're messy and broken. But I want to stress this, that there is a way that God has called us to devote our time and our energy to him. Um, yes. We have been entrusted with much as single men and women. We have more time. We have more resources. We have more spontaneity. Like, I can get up and jump in a car and go with some friends to get donuts on a Friday night. 
And I don't have to worry about someone being at home being like, why are you out at donuts on 3 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> like, there are things that we have that we have been entrusted with. And Christ says that those entrusted with much, much will be required of them. And so I want us to take that seriously. And don't consider, I want to talk about business just a little bit. We shouldn't consider business an excuse not to be involved with people and with things. If we ever have an inclination to get married, like a married man can't say to his wife, look, I'm kind of busy this week. I'll love and care for you in a few weeks. Just give me a second to get my life in order, okay? And then I'll come take care of you. Like, that just doesn't fly. Um, And I don't think it should fly for us to say, look, I'll go be involved in ministry. I'll go to church. I'll go to this Bible study. Once I get my stuff together, once I get my life figured out, I'll, I'll go love you, God. I'll go love your people. Like, that shouldn't fly. I don't want this to overwhelm you, kind of like I was saying before. Like, this isn't, I don't want to place burdens on us or unexpected expectations of what we have to do tomorrow, what we have to do this next day. Um, it's a process to grow into this. I'm imperfect at it. Like, it's a thing that's going to take me many years to learn how to do well. It's going to take a lot of Christ's mercy, a lot of God's grace. And there's a lot of prayer that needs to happen for that. But I think I'm trying to stress that there is a call that Christ has on our lives and how we live and think about our singleness and how we do that purposefully. We will fail. We will fall. We'll put ourselves before others. That's the reality of the situation. But then let us repent and turn towards Christ. It's his record of loving and serving others when he was single on earth that God sees when he looks at us. It's his righteousness in serving his bride that covers us. So all that to say, I'm trying to get a little better sense of how God's calling and gift of singleness is on our lives. I'm trying to stress the reality of it. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about, at the very end, what it looks like to experience this call for singleness. I think there can be confusion around it. I've experienced confusion in my own life. And so I want to turn to a final discussion about that. Um, How do I know if I'm called to singleness? How do you know if you're called to singleness? Are you single right now? Guess what? You're called to singleness. And I could stop there. Like, that's it. Like, you're done. If you're single right now, that's your calling. Um, Okay, what about tomorrow? Am I called to singleness tomorrow? Maybe I'm single today, but what about tomorrow? Christ says, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I would say, seek to live faithfully in the singleness we have been called today. And when tomorrow comes, we'll see what that day brings. Most likely, you're going to wake up single if you went to bed single, unless something happens. Um, Okay, so then what happens if I meet a girl or I meet a guy? I really like them. Like, should I go after them? Should I pursue this relationship? Like, I don't know. What's the right thing to do? In verse 28, Paul says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. Like, marriage is a good thing. It's a great thing. If you find yourself in the position to marry, seek the counsel and wisdom from others. If they agree, it's a good thing. Like, go get married. Like, same thing with pursuing a relationship. If you talk with people and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good fit. I think y'all two would hit it off really well. Like, go after it. It's not like, oh, should I be single? Should I not? Paul's concern here, if you look at verse 32 again, 
is that he would like us to be free from anxiety. He'd like us to be free from concern. There's not a rule or a command or a forum that we can say, like, should I get married today? Should I stay single? If I flip this coin in its heads twice, then I should go after this person. Like, that's not how it works. Paul's advice in 27, are you unmarried? Do not look for advice. Is his advice, is his judgment but his main pastoral concern, and I want you all to hear this, is don't be anxious worrying about whether or not you should or shouldn't get married someday. Paul's primary concern isn't whether the Corinthians are going to marry or not. Neither is it God's primary concern, and neither should it be our primary concern. Instead, that's why he ends and asks, like, I want you to be devoted to loving God. And that's what we should be asking ourselves first, whether or not questions about marriage or dating will arise. Like, ask first, are we devoted to God and seeking his kingdom? And sometimes, yeah, that's going to mean that to faithfully serve God, we should not pursue someone even though we're really attracted to them. It means sometimes saying no to relationships that do not honor God or are not loving to any other person. It means sometimes, as Brittany read in Matthew 19, renouncing marriage because of the kingdom of God. We should be wise and thoughtful before entering into a relationship. We should seek counsel from others. We should pray the psalmist's prayer, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And look to be honest with ourselves about why we want to move towards marriage or why we want to remain single. Are we doing this solely to fulfill our desires for intimacy, our desires for like our own lusts? Or can we faithfully honor God in those relationships and truly commit to loving the other person as he would call us to? So there's a lot of prayer and wisdom that goes in answering these questions. There's not like a straightforward answer of, should I be called to singleness? Yes, no, now. And there's a lot more wisdom, and God gives us grace, and God wants us to think through and grow in these questions. Um, I once heard an example of my past, my chemistry minister said, like, your dad doesn't care which car you're by. Like, he doesn't, like, think it's going to matter to the entire world that you buy this car over that car. But he wants you to be wise in how you go about making that decision. Like, that's what he's raised you for. That's what he's taught you. It's how to be wise in making these choices. And I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. Like, seek God first, and then be wise about whether or not you're going to get married. And in our dark times, in the times where we're lonely, like, it's okay to pray and desperately want a spouse. Um, I think in those times, we should follow the model of our Lord. When he prays, when he prays, Lord, take this cup from me. And we can pray, bring me a spouse, bring me a companion, bring me a husband or a wife. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And I think that's how we should pray. If you truly desire a spouse, that's how we should pray. And I think we should take comfort knowing that Christ knows our loneliness, that he experienced it, that he felt the emptiness and aloneness of all emptiness and aloneness when he hung on the cross and he took our sins upon him and the Father turned his face away. And that he did this so that one day we may experience the perfect bliss of being in a marriage with him and with God, united forever in the age to come. Um, Bow your heads with me, please.
Dear Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for your wisdom, and thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you that you have given all to come and seek us, to bring us into a relationship with you when we were in rebellion and we wanted nothing to do with you. I pray for these people, for these friends, brothers and sisters, as they go out tonight, that your words and your spirit will be upon them, that you'll work in their lives, transforming them continually in the image of Christ, working all things to their good, um, and glorifying your name and bringing them to know you better, to love you more, and to serve your people and your church. Um, We lift all these things up to you. We entrust our lives, our souls. We entrust our singleness and our marriages to you. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.